Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. Good morning, if you will. I'm Simon, if we haven't met, and we are in our second week of this series called The Ripple Effect, as we uh, seek to be equipped in everyday evangelism, sharing our faith, because we're convinced that every single person needs to know uh, and encounter Jesus. And the way that we do that is we uh, know or trust and follow God and see his impact on our life ripple out into the lives of those around us. Last week, Nathan spoke about satisfaction and how true satisfaction can only be found in Jesus. And today, we're thinking about people and prayer as we walk through this passage in Colossians. If you go to bed before eight o'clock at night or you have no interest in watching 11 people dressed in white chasing a red ball around a field for five days. You probably aren't aware that one of the greatest sporting events is happening right now called The Ashes, uh, Australia vs England in the cricket. This series uh, has been fascinating, um, but it's a very biased Australian. I believe this event, Ashes in England, is as big, if not bigger, than the Olympics because Ashes in Australia, we win 5 nil every time. But uh, over there, it's, it's a close contest, close contest. Um, and this series has been fascinating because of a tactic by England called Bazball. Bazball, named after the coach of England, uh, Brendan Baz McCullum. Bazball is basically just a very aggressive way of playing this game of cricket. Score as many runs as you can, as fast as you can, uh, and get as many wickets as you can, as fast as possible, so pressure will be too much for your opponent. Bazball has become like a way of life for this English team. The seven principles of Bazball are a less reflective environment, no negative chat, a win-at-all-cost mentality, no fear of failure, praise even for the little things, simplicity of message, and embracing mental freedom and fun. It's actually made this series really exciting, um, but I don't like England, so I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, but what's, <laughs> what's fascinating is that this has become just a philosophy for this English team. They lost game one and two of the series, five-game series, and journalists were saying, oh, the pressure's becoming so much for you guys, you're going to change anything? They said, no, not a chance, because we always believe in Bazball. Bazball has its way, and it has been okay for them since then. Anyway, uh, what's the best thing about Bazball? Australia's won the Ashes, and England haven't won it for 20-plus years, so um, sorry if you're English, welcome to church, we do love you, uh, but... Uh, the English team know exactly what they're doing. There is no confusion. There's no second guessing. They're doing it as well as they can. What about here at church? What are we meant to be on about? What is our basball? As those who trust in the gospel, the good news of Jesus for all people, what are we meant to be concerned for? What are things that drive us? Three observations, three Ps, gospel life, is about people, gospel life is about prayer, gospel life is about proclamation. It's about people. If you cast your eyes down, really helpful if you have a Bible open in front of you, I won't have this part up on the screen, but in Colossians 4, end of the chapter, there's a whole bunch of people, really diverse group of people who have been brought together and totally transformed by the gospel. Paul and the Colossians have never met. And that doesn't stop Paul from asking them for prayer. In his list of people at the end of Colossians 4, there's Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, some doctors like Luke, 
Onesimus the slave, a total mixed bag of people who have been brought together because of Christ. In this list, we see Tychicus. Uh, it's the real kind of warmth and affection that Paul has for these people. Calls him a dear brother. Onesimus, faithful and dear brother. Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for you. And Luke, our dear friend. This reminds us that one of the outcomes of the gospel is relationships that reflect the gospel. All people, no matter who you are, what background, Jesus unites us. Uh, earlier in the week, Bonnie and I had a date night, very exciting, and we went to see a movie called The Barbie Movie, and uh, Bonnie wasn't the one who suggested this. I was interested, because I think it's like a cultural moment in the world. Uh, anyway, without ruining the movie, if anyone who wants to see it, I'm sure there's plenty of you, uh, if you're planning on seeing it, uh, when we walked out, Bonnie said, what did you think? And I said, I liked parts of it. Um, uh, the costumes, insane, the, the set's extravagant, uh, the, uh, the set, or the, sorry, the cast are pretty funny at times, uh, and, you know, there's some good messages in it, like the world's a broken place, and death is inevitable, and uh, we shouldn't be living in fear and judgment of other people, and inequality's bad, but, like, my overwhelming emotion as I walked out was probably sadness, to be honest, uh, because the solution to all these things in Barbie world uh, is just domination and manipulation uh, as, pe yeah, as a solution to just brokenness and, and inequality. As people who live gospel-shaped lives, though, we know that a much better solution to the inequality, brokenness of the world uh, is gospel-shaped relationships. We come across this passage in Philippians 2, Paul speaking of the model for relationships, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The life of the gospel is about peace and, reconcilia and reconciliation in our relationships with everyone because of our peace with God. This is what gospel life achieves in us as we turn away from ourselves towards others for Christ's sake. This is why we have things like the barbecue after church last week and the coffee machines fired up every Sunday, church weekend away, church picnics, because gospel life isn't about hanging out with who you want to hang out with um, on a Sunday or as you come together, but it's seeking to love everyone, to serve all people that God brings into your life as we live as a gospel-shaped community. So gospel life is about people, and it's about prayer. In verse 2, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. When you hear devote yourselves to prayer, you think, Oh, gosh, I've been trying for 50-plus years, however long. I feel like I'm just in the same spot. A better translation would be keep working. Keep working at prayer doesn't have to look like waking up at 5am every morning, spending two hours on your knees in prayer, if you're physically able to. Like, that might work for you, and that's great, uh, but not for everyone. It's mainly about being intentional, setting aside the time, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual time you need for prayer. Prayer can be demanding. It can be easy to give up when you're not seeing immediate outcomes. Maybe what Paul means is what he talks about in this chapter of Colossians uh, with Epaphras wrestling in prayer for you. I love what Don Carson says about prayer. He says, all of us would be wiser 
if we would resolve never to put people down except on our prayer lists. Effective prayer is the fruit of a relationship with God, not a technique for acquiring blessings. Good praying is more easily caught than taught. I'll never forget something someone said to me from our church family, just chatting about trying to get encourage youth to pray and just develop good rhythms of that early in life. And he was stressing the, the importance of that and how it can be quite laborsome and you might not see immediate outcomes. But if you develop that from an early stage in life, the fruit of that is just an ongoing conversation with your creator God. And it's praying in the car as you wash up, as you mow the lawn. And yet at the same time, I think we can worry too much if we introduce set times and rhythms, we're introducing legalism. Maybe an equally great danger is to dismiss as legalism what is actually godly discipline. Uh, there's a way of praying that can spring from you know, guilt and duty and obligation, sure, but there's a way of praying that springs from the life of the gospel, remembering that Christ has reconciled you to God. Uh, a book I found insanely helpful is The Valley of Vision, a bunch of Puritan preacher prayers. Uh, some of you may know it. Just to ignite my heart and read these prayers I could never dream of thinking of or writing, um, just to kind of grow my hunger for that. So there's many good resources out there to help us keep growing in prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. What does that mean, to be watchful and thankful? I think being watchful, Paul's referring to the false teaching that he speaks about back in chapter 2 of Colossians. We can be in danger of being caught up in and in a way kind of take us away from Christ. Uh, take watchfulness, for example. Look back to what he says in, in chapter 2. Uh, in verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He says, be on your guard against any kind of teaching that will take you away from Christ. Uh, what about thankfulness? Maybe this has to do with the Colossians following all kinds of rules, uh, which we hear about in chapter 2, kind of chasing spiritual experiences, human traditions. You know, I put my trust in Christ. I know he's good, but he's just not good enough. I need this extra spiritual experience to ensure that I'm acceptable to God. Paul is saying, in Christ, you actually have everything, therefore you lack nothing. Earlier in chapter 2, he says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwell in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been given fullness. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if we have Christ, we lack nothing, and all of our needs of salvation have been entirely met. Uh, this is why Paul is saying it's so important to be thankful. Because what does thankfulness do? It protects you from the trap of thinking that there are still things you lack. It directs your eyes to what God has already given you. And therefore, you need nothing else other than Christ because he is more than enough. Thankfulness reminds you actively in your mind, in your heart, in your prayers that Christ is fullness. He is enough. We lack nothing. So what can you give thanks for in your prayers this week? For life, for health, for safety, for church, for family, for all the spiritual blessings in Christ. The list is huge. We set aside time for giving thanks for Christ this week, a safeguard to false teaching, 
which reminds us all that we have in Christ. This gospel life is about people, it's about prayer, and it's about proclamation. You've got a Bible, read along from verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. It's a pretty incredible prayer, considering where he is when he writes this. He's locked up in jail, and he's not, I'll be praying for that prison door to open so I can get back home and straight out of there. Paul's not worried about that. He's praying for a door to open for the gospel. So it doesn't matter if I'm in chains, whatever, the gospel got me in here. He's praying for a door to open for the gospel. Um, Pray that a door will be opened, not for me, but for the gospel, for the gospel can't be chained. But proclaiming the news about Christ isn't uh, just something for the Apostle Paul and what he wants to do, but he's encouraging the Colossians to get involved. And so in verses 5 and 6, he says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In summary, he's saying by verse 5, the wisdom of our behaviour, and verse 6, the warmth of our conversation, our lives will cause others to ask questions. What a joy it is to work with them. What a joy it is to do life with that person Why are they living that way? Why is there such a warmth in this conversation? What is it about their behaviour that is different? The whole instruction assumes that our lives are lived out in full display uh, to those who don't know and love Jesus. And I wonder for some of us that this might be the greatest danger. Uh, There's a temptation to kind of, you know, as Christianity is marginalised, to step back into the holy huddle, the Christian bubble, whatever you want to call it, But the way that Paul sees it is that life of the gospel actually kind of pushes us into the world to live with people um, who don't know and love Jesus. So there needs to be a wisdom and discernment in the way that we act. So thinking about the wisdom of our behaviour this week, uh, I was just thinking this morning about possible unwise behaviour. I uh, grew up with a friend, going to church, she's a Christian, after school when she started working Every time she received kind of some form of feedback from a boss, um, critical feedback, call it that, she would see it as a spiritual attack. And so within a month, she'd just say, oh, this place isn't for me, uh, move on, same thing would happen. Uh, I think that's quite unwise behaviour. I think we should, you know, no matter how, no matter how old you are, just seeking to learn, uh, to grow, to take the opportunity to do good, to stand for fairness and justice, Ask God to fill you with his wisdom so you can work without grumbling. Serve diligently when no one is watching. Pray that questions will come by the way that you live. And thinking about the warmth of your conversation, there needs to be a grace in the way that we speak. Uh, Adding salt, well, salt in the Old Testament, kind of picture of judgment, but salt here is like adding a sense of flavour and spice to the conversation. Something that's going to lift people's eyes off the temporary, onto the eternal So as people observe us and the way that we're speaking, uh, we'll know how to answer them and present Christ. For me personally, I found podcasts just a a way of connecting with with non-believing mates. 
Uh, and there's a particular podcast called The Imperfects, and they chat about vulnerability, uh, the vulnerability house, anyway, very, very punny. But they, um, yeah, just share stories of people's brokenness and their experience of uh, family breakdown or job loss. And um, I found that a way of just kind of asking or sharing how I think that their hope isn't fully secure. Um, so maybe that can just be one way you can kind of add salt to a conversation uh, and lift people's eyes off the temporary onto the eternal. So do you see the reason for all this that Paul talks about? For the wisdom of our behavior, the warmth of our conversation, in verse 5 he said it's to make the most of every opportunity, or also translated as redeeming the time, making the most of the time. How do you do that? With your words, with your wise behavior, and being urgent, I suppose, because we know the time is short. Christ has already died and been raised from the dead. At the appointed hour, he'll come back in glory. The world won't run on like this forever. There's, this time now is where eternity can be won or lost. Now is the time people can be rescued from darkness and brought into God's kingdom. Now is the time where people can find forgiveness of sin and peace with God. Uh, just as we close, uh, this picture popped up on my news feed this week. Locals only, Blowen's not welcome. It was somewhere on the New South Wales coast this week. Uh, a mayor kind of posted it and said, not in our town, this is just outrageous. It's been happening for generations. Uh, and many people commenting, say, oh, this is like terrible. It is terrible, right? I feel like even though you might not be doing that and like putting a sign out in the headland like that, uh, we have thoughts like this. Like I've been living here five minutes and I get angry about traffic and I'm like, oh, school holidays, oh, my parking spot's taken. Like I didn't even grow up here. Uh, we have these thoughts all the time. Uh, many of you would know this intersection just down there, Mission Terrace, Ocean Drive, chatting with Nathan this week. Uh, he was like, whoever leaps for joy when you've been waiting there for two and a half minutes, uh, especially if you lived here for like 20 plus years and the only traffic was cows on the road or something, uh, there's just, there's five cars in front of me, oh, there used to be no traffic, uh, more people moving into the area. Redeeming the time will mean that if you're stuck in traffic, you'll see those cars, you'll see people created in God's image, who are made for an eternal purpose, heading to a, a destination. You'll see people who need to know Christ. So instead of just getting frustrated, maybe, maybe pray. Maybe pray that God may open a door for the gospel. Pray for more people across the Cameron Haven to be one for Christ. Let me close for us as we pray. Father, we thank you that you are building your church and nothing will ever overcome it. Thank you for the good news of, gospel for, of the gospel for all people. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to redeem the time, to make the most of the remaining time we have before you return. We pray that you will open a door for the gospel so we may proclaim Christ. And by the wisdom of our behavior, the warmth of our conversation, many more would come to know and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. 
Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.